Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Now, we are continuing our worship series on theology, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And some of you may have wondered if we were going to get really ugly when I told you we were reading from Revelation. Generally, when I tell people that we're going to read from Revelation, I can see some faces go, oh, okay. Because Revelation has a little bit of a stigma, right? It has, it has a little bit of a reputation for being difficult, bizarre, and sometimes frightening. But today, nestled in here, I hope that you found words that are comforting and inspiring. This is a depiction of those who have come through trial and tribulation, and they have triumphed. They have succeeded, and they have been brought into the temple of God, and here they are worshiping. Sound familiar? These are a people who have struggled and they have not always been able to do what they have wanted to do or what they felt called by God to do. But now in this portrayal, they are liberated to be God's people. And one of the most powerful things in here, that if we simply said, oh, Revelation is too hard and too weird and we put it aside, we would miss that it says, when John of Patmos, to whom the vision came of the book of Revelation, as he's describing this, he says that he looked and there was a multitude that no one could count. No one. And he's in the presence of angels. And if angels can't count, think of how many people that must be. Because they have eternity. They got nothing better to do than count. And they couldn't count the people gathered there. All the tribes, all the nations, all the peoples, all the languages, they were all accounted for and gathered there to worship. Now, that might just sound like everybody, everybody was there. But we are a people who recognize that each one of those words is a piece of someone's identity. What nation are they ascribing their citizenship to? From where do they come? And not only their national identity, but their tribal identity, their familial identity, their genealogical connectors. From where do they come? This is very helpful in Crozet because we have some families with some very broad trees living here in this church. And so, you know, this would be like, I'm an American citizen, but I'm also of the House of Kent. And so you can see that this is another way of finding connection and identity and then peoples, peoples who understand themselves to be different, maybe because of their ethnicity or their religion, as the Jews thought of themselves as a different people from their neighbors. And then languages, speaking multiple languages. Languages also being a sign of culture and identity. And all of these things. And in the United Methodist Church, in our book of worship, in our hymnal, in our book of discipline, and in very, in very much embedded in our doctrine is an understanding of the huge breadth of humankind. We say that we invite into our midst all of those of different ages, races, ethnicities, 
those of different genders, those of different experiences, all of these are welcome here. So we proclaim as Methodists. And that is because here in Revelation, this is the prophecy that all people would be welcomed in God's temple for all time. And there they cry out as they worship the Lamb who is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that salvation belongs to God. Amen. Salvation belongs to God. You mean it doesn't belong to the clergy? It doesn't belong to the card-carrying members of a church? It doesn't belong to those who are empowered to write doctrine or perfect doctrine in any denomination? No. Salvation does not belong to us. It belongs to God. And God chooses to give us our salvation. And that's important because we need to remember that God is giving us a taste, a glimpse, a gift, and inviting us to share that experience, that knowledge, that truth, that love with others. And in doing that, they then open themselves up to receive their salvation from God. One of the things that Christians throughout the ages have struggled with is, what is the flow of grace? Where does salvation come from? Does, there are denominations that think it comes down through the church. There are denominations who think that it comes down through those that have been empowered, mostly through their ordination. There are denominations that believe that it comes solely from the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. There are denominations that run the full breadth, theologically, of from where does our grace come. Now, in the United Methodist Church, as you read right here, grace comes from one source, comes from God. And hopefully the church is a place where we can experience that grace. We can encounter it. We can grow in it. And we can be empowered and challenged to give it to others. But it doesn't come from the church. Just because you're on the rolls at some United Methodist Church does not mean that you have received grace. I wish that were true. But instead, what is more powerful and profound is when you choose to open up your heart to receive what Christ poured out everything to give you. That is how grace comes. It is through a relationship, an experiential encounter with our Messiah. And then, when you have that, here's the best news. No one can take it from you. No one. There is no human being. There is no ecclesiastical authority. There is no committee. There is no presbytery. There is no one in this world that can take it from you because no one in this world gave it to you. It is yours. And God wants you to have it. That is the foundational theology that springs forth when we start talking about inclusion and exclusion. These are competing theologies in the full breadth of Christianity across the globe and across the ages. Are we a people who understand ourselves to be including others? Or are we a people that see ourselves as excluding certain people? Now, that immediately might make you think that I'm trying to lead you to the answer, but there are cases for both all throughout the scriptures, the Old and the New Testament. And the fact is that even the Apostle Paul, as he was helping the communities, the faith communities that he founded, wrestle with who they were supposed to be and how they were going to get through their time together until Christ returned, 
there are specific times where he says to them, if these people or this person will not abide by the rules and by the theology that we have set forth, then you must exclude them. You should tell them to go. And when we hear that, perhaps it stirs in us our own experience with exclusion. Have you ever been excluded? Have you ever been told, no, we don't want you here? Have you ever been told that you weren't good enough, that you couldn't be forgiven or that you couldn't be loved? And if you have, that is the power of exclusionary theology. It is very powerful. It is very destructive, and it can be very hurtful. And so when we experience exclusion, we know how much it can hurt us. And I know that I too have experienced exclusion, but I also know what it is like to be included. I have encountered so many Christians over my time in ministry, not in the Methodist church, but outside the Methodist church, who say, I don't believe a woman could be a pastor. Okay. And like, I, don't, I don't think that that's right. Okay. I'm fine with that. You're like, and I don't think that's what you're supposed to be. And I was like, well, you're going to have to take that up with Jesus, because I tried, and he didn't listen to me either. <laughs> so you talk to Jesus, and if he gives you a different answer, you tell him, come see me, and we'll revise my life plan. But here's the thing. Once you are invited and welcomed and given radical hospitality, you can never go back. You can't go back because the feeling of being welcomed and valued the feeling that comes when someone or a body of people look at you and say, you are wanted, you are beloved, you are of sacred worth. And when we look at you, we see someone who makes us better. That is a theology of inclusion. And that is to say, not that the person is perfect or that the person isn't going to come without their own trials and struggles but that the value of presence is more important than the ease of being. The value of presence over the ease of being together. Now today, we're going to have the opportunity to partake of the sacrament of Holy Communion. This is unparalleled inclusion. The night in which Jesus celebrated his final Passover Seder, he transformed the elements on the table, elements that he and the other disciples had been partaking in every single year of their lives. Once a year, all the Jew Jewish families would gather around a table, often not even their own table because of the practice of consuming an entire lamb in one night. They would gather other families together, and multiple families would partake of this holy meal and tell the story, recounting how God had liberated them from those that wanted to exclude them from full membership and presence in Egypt, from those who said, you are not like us, you are not worthy to be with us, you are so unlike us that we are going to use you as a means to our own ends. And they enslaved these people. And for 400 years, their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren knew nothing of freedom. All they knew was bondage and oppression. And then 
God liberated them, set them free, and called them into a new righteous relationship with a God who not only knew them, but loved them and wanted to be with them, gathered them at the foot of Mount Sinai and entered into covenant with them. And the night that Jesus gave us Holy Communion, he did the same thing. He invited us to take our place at the table. Now, sometimes I would slip up and say seat, but they weren't seated at the table. They were seated on the floor. It was a different level of table. But there was a place for all of them. And here's where I believe Jesus, in a miraculous and very wise way, pushes back at the human tendency to desire to exclude. He let Judas Iscariot come to the table. He didn't just let Judas come to the table. He let him consume at the table. He shared bread and a cup with Judas, knowing what Judas was going to do, knowing that of all of them, Judas was going to betray him in a way that would lead to unparalleled suffering and death. But he let Judas have his place at the table. And we are invited to not just take our place at the table. We are invited to make room for others to take their place at the table. I don't know who it was that first decided when the Methodist Church was going to join with the Evangelical United Brethren, the EUB, when someone said, you know what, it is time. We are going to give people their seat, their place, their right to the table, and we are going to ordain women. And there were people that probably said, this is crazy. We haven't been ordaining women. Why would we suddenly start doing this? 1968, in Dallas, Texas, they made room at the table. They made room at the table decades before I was born. They made room at the table before others are going to be born into this world and empowered to take the Holy Spirit and their faith in Jesus Christ and their identity in God the Father and take their rightful place, not just at the table, but in the church and in the world. And we are those people that say, yes, here it is. Jesus wanted us to make a place for people. And it's easy to doctrinally say, we're going to make a place at the table. Anybody that wants communion can come and have it, which is true. Anybody, you don't have to satisfy me. I don't look at you and go, I don't think you're a member. You can't have it. We don't have to do that. But here's the next step. We come here and we consume tangible signs of an inward grace. When we take of the bread and the cup, we take these things into ourselves. And having the Holy Spirit then poured out and transforming them, we consume them. They become part of our body and our being. And how many of us stop right there? But we are being asked not just to make room at the table and room in our pews and in our sanctuaries. My siblings in Christ, we are being asked to make room in our hearts. And there is a greater difficulty in making space sometimes in our hearts than there ever should be. In the scriptures, it talks about hearts of stone that too many times God's people had hearts of stone. And stone requires work. You have to carve it. You've got to break it down. You've got to move it out of the way. 
And as the hymn says, I will give them hearts for love alone. Giving us a new heart, that of Jesus Christ. A heart that looked down from the suffering and the death of the cross and asked for forgiveness for everyone that was standing there. A heart that bled and died for every single one of us here today. A heart that still continues to bleed for those that are suffering, that are lonely, that feel forsaken and forgotten, that feel unwanted and unworthy. The heart of Jesus Christ still bleeds. Does ours. Do we ache when people hurt? Do we shed a tear when we see them in sorrow and pain? Are we a kind of people that are moved by others because we know what it is like? Over the course of our lives, every single one of us will know the pain of death, losing a loved one. Every single one of us will know what it is like to have a relationship that is torn asunder. Every one of us will know what it is like to have our bodies fail us in one way or another. And it is precisely from those commonalities that we find the ability to be with and abide with those that are suffering and struggling. Out of the pain and the hurt, God redeems to allow us to take our experience and use it to be a commonality. And that is one of the most difficult things for Christians. Those Christians that only show up at Christmas and Easter, those Christians forsake that gift. Because if you only want to be here at the triumphant birth and the triumphant resurrection, you are missing the point of Jesus Christ. You are missing the journey, the life. That baby was 33 years old when he died. He lived a life. He had experiences and encounters, and he gave gifts. He poured himself out in mission and ministry for others. And if you only want to be there on the day that he was born or the day that he resurrected, you have missed the cross. You have missed all of it. And for those of you that have had the opportunity to witness a baby being born into this world, whether it is yours or perhaps what strikes more, I know for my mother now, it's not my birth, but that of my child that is most important. If you've had a, a child that is born and you remember that birth and you have watched them grow and you have been so invested in their joy and their pain and sorrow hurts and wounds you, then you know that every day is important. It is not just about the birth. And you don't want to just be there when they resurrect. You want to be there when they need you. You want to be there so that you can see the joy and the growth, that you can revel in who they are. How can we prevent ourselves from experiencing those moments in Jesus Christ? We have to learn to be present with Jesus, which is why we come to worship and hear of him, so that we can be present with others in the name of Jesus. It all feeds together. And when Jesus promised that we could take this whenever we needed it, that we could take this grace, receive the forgiveness, the justifying grace of the sacrament that literally washes us clean, 
Jesus wanted us to not only experience it, but to share it. This is not something that we do under the cover of darkness. This is not something that we do hidden from the world. And some of the most incredible moments of my life have been at the table, have been in service sharing the elements. There are so many times where meeting at the table, we are able to connect with people, sometimes through words, although we're not supposed to be speaking at that moment, sometimes through glances and touch. And what the Bible promises us in Revelation is that there will come a day when we can gather again and it will never end. Those experiences and that forgiveness will never stop. I once had a church member at my last church as we were talking about the theology of the sacraments said, you know, there are some times where we say the prayer for pardon and forgiveness and then I come up and I receive the sacrament and then as I'm going back to my seat, I see somebody and I think, I think sinfully. I see them and I think it, and I think I should just get back in line. I should just loop right around again. And I said, do it. Why not? Well, I'm not going to be like, I'm sorry, you've already had your Jesus today. Do it. I used to love it when some of the children in the church would go to the back of the line and wait and wait and wait. And then after all the adults had received, they're like, can I get a big old piece of Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can. You can have as much Jesus as you want. How many times with our words, our refusal to be present with people, our, our willingness to build barriers and let earthly obstacles come between us and another person, how many times have we wordlessly and with words said, conveyed, you can't have this Jesus. He is mine, and he is not for you. But we serve a Savior who on the night in which he gave us Holy Communion first tied a towel around his waist, got down on his knees, and washed the filthy feet of his disciples. And he said, I have done this to show you something. The greatest among you will be slave of all. And he chose that word very carefully. You will serve another to the point that it feels like servitude and slavery. You will serve until there is no one else to serve. But we are a proud people, are we not? We are a people who are so blessed. We are a people with unparalleled rights here in this country. We are a people who have so many wonderful things that bring us smiles and joy. We are a people that truly do know what it is like to have. And yet we are also a people that are called to serve. And sometimes that inner tension between all that we have and all that we're called to be tears us in two. And the best among us have shown us what it is like to take what we have and use it to serve. And that is precisely the story and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Taking what he had and using it to serve. That's why when Jesus had all the people gathered there listening to him preach for hours, hours, and he looked and it was getting dark and the disciples said, you've got to send them home. 
They, they're not going to be able to get food. I mean, it's not like you had 24-hour-a-day McDonald's. If you don't send them now, they will starve. And there are women and children here. You've got, you've got to send them home. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. And I can imagine what I would have said. Are you kidding me? Look at these people. There's not a potluck in the world that can feed all these people. What, really? Maybe you should have given me a little time, you know, a little bit of preparation. I don't know what we're going to feed these people with. Or, uh, Jesus, I know it's hot out here. Do you have heat stroke? But instead, Jesus is like, you feed them, and I'm going to show you how. I'm going to show you how. And in one of the gospel accounts, a young boy offers up his lunch. He offers up his lunch. And that meant that that boy had some power and some privilege because he had a lunch. And he offered it up and he said, here. And Jesus took one young boy's willingness and gift and fed thousands that day. So if you wonder if your faith, if your mission, if your ministry, if what you do and say matters, I present to you that boy who fed a multitude. And more so than those who were adults and those that had been groomed and cultivated to be the apostles, more so even than them, he understood that if I am willing to give over what I have, if I am willing to place it in Christ's hands, that not only am I going to be fed, but everybody would be fed. Everybody was fed that day. Because remember what it said? Not only were they fed, but there was extra. Twelve baskets worth, one for every apostle. That's how incredible our Christ is. That's radical inclusion. Inviting this young child to be part of the gospel story, to be part of one of the earthly miracles, the feeding of the thousands, inviting those that had gathered to experience the miracles. Could you imagine what it was like that day to eat food that Jesus had multiplied with his own hands? You don't have to imagine. You're going to taste it in a moment. And you don't have to imagine, and you don't have to be satisfied with this little taste that you're going to get because Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many rooms, and I've got a place for you. I have a place for you, and I'm going to bring you there. My brothers and sisters in Christ, who are we going to bring to Christ so that he can bring them there? It starts with how we treat one another. It starts with how we choose to be in right relationship. And it starts with us setting aside all that we think we have to say and do and start responding like Jesus. Start looking for the opportunities to bless and start embracing them with all that we are. And that will truly be when the doors are flung open, when hearts will be transformed from stone, and when this world will start to experience that same love and grace that Christ died and rose again to bring to us. May we be Easter people, not a people who simply show up on Easter, but a people who have been transformed by Easter. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.
Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.